everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 17, The Social Classroom, for October 21st, 2010. This week, we're going to talk about using social networking and other social tools within the classroom. And our guest with us is uh, Professor Amanda Wilson of Appalachian State University in uh, Boone, North Carolina. And unlike our typical guests in the past, Amanda is a college professor, not a high school teacher. And so we get a, a different perspective about that. And I'll confess to uh, doing the show prep. Uh, Sean uh, found Amanda, as he often does find uh, most of our guests, and and contacted her and uh, um, doing uh, all that sort of uh, stuff. And so I didn't realize she wasn't a public school person until she came on and said, I teach at a university. So it was it was a, a, a bit of a surprise as we were uh, doing the pre-show Skype warm up and stuff. And, and so uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll bring her on a little bit later. Uh, and anyway, so uh, pr- uh, professor or Mrs. or Ms. or whatever she likes to be called, <laughs> Amanda Wilson <laughs> will be joining us. Uh, but before she does, uh, I just wanted to talk about a, a couple of interesting things. Um, uh, last week, we uh, uh, did a, uh, talked about some um, some k- kids in our school who were, uh, shall we say, uh, working outside the law a little bit uh, of the land. Um, one of those students. Well, that's the question, right? right. That's part of it. Uh, the the science teacher that we we mentioned earlier uh, in, in last week's episode. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, stop now. Go listen to it. We'll wait. All right, welcome back. We've got, we're glad that you listened to the to the, the last week's episode. Um, now, one of the students, not the one who came to our office, by the way, but one of his cohorts, left his USB drive in the computer, and the science teacher brought it to us and said, yeah, I'm not saying there's anything on here, but I'd like you to know. I'd, I'd like to know. Let's put it in there. So I grabbed it and popped it in well, the machine. And let's stop right there because right. we're not in the habit of necessarily no, doing this. No, no. This, Only, is a, this is a kid that we knew had been making efforts to right. subvert the network. Only so. because of some suspicious behavior beforehand. Right. And because he left it behind. Yeah. You know, yeah. Most of them are smart enough to pocket it before <laughs> they go. Yeah, that really shocked me because right. this is a smart kid. I, I was. It was kind of like that, oh, you got your hands on the golden egg, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, go ahead. So, so anyway, um, when we uh, um, totally lost my train of thought. Oh, mm-hmm. I put the USB yeah. drive in my computer, and the very first thing that happened is Microsoft Security Essentials said, "Hey, there's a virus on here." So yeah, that's that's a not a good thing. That's one of those uh, downsides of of letting your kids bring in their own USB drives, and particularly if they tend to be uh, of the type who are uh, less than savory from time to time. Uh, they might uh, bring in some sort of things, but b- because of the, one of the tools that we'd mentioned previously, uh, the uh, the uh, Cornerstone product, we don't really worry about that because if they do infect the machine, a reboot fixes it. But anyway, right. that's just an aside. So I popped in the USB disk, and what it was was a bootable copy of Linux Mint on a pen drive. And as you... Uh, you may have noticed, uh, remembered from previous episodes, we did a full show on Linux Mint. It's really one of our favorite uh, uh, Ubuntu Linux-based uh, distri- distributions, and um, very pretty. Yeah, it's 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 got it's got all the stuff. I think I used the phrase "out of the box" like ninety-seven times in the course of that episode previously, because yeah, yeah. it has all the codocs out of the box and all the all the the great tools Drivers just it just works right there. So he was using this tool. Popping it in, um, obviously unhappy with our use of iTalk, for example, to monitor his use. So he puts it in, reboots the machine, and boom, he's got his own 
uh, desktop operating system to do what he can, uh, whatever he wants to, outside the bounds of the law. Now, he's still behind our content filter and our firewall, so those rules apply. But clearly, we don't have iTalk installed on that uh, 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 run-at-boot-time operating system, and we don't have any antivirus installed on it. So there, there are some issues there. And so the question arose, is that a bad thing? Is it is it wrong? Should it be wrong? I, I pulled up our acceptable use policy and our uh, uh, student code of conduct and skimmed through them both, and there's nothing in there that would explicitly say what he was doing was wrong because he technically wasn't circumventing anything. One of the things that we say is that uh, that you uh, can't circumvent our, our filters. That's one of the thing, the no-nos that will get, uh, get you taken off the network. But interestingly, in our case, in our acceptable use policy, the only um, punishment is being pulled off the network, revoke, revocation of your network credentials. He wasn't using his network credentials. Right. He was using his own bootable drive. Well, and I, I think even if uh, if you have some sort of policy like that, like most policies have some sort of blanket blanket statement at the end, right? You know, uh, that are, is designed to try and catch all these types of situations. And uh, so it's not only, you know, A, does your policy have something in place that, that does uh, account for something like this, but B, do you like like you said do you care should we care uh and i know what a lot of uh, network admins would say is you know yes you know they're going to freak out but uh but i like you know some of your thoughts on that subject just philosophically right my immediate response is um i don't care he can't really harm my network i'm secure in my network i'm confident in what i've got but also how is that different and it is different, and we'll discuss that, from a student bringing in his own laptop, okay? Uh, some schools don't allow that. I know a lot of schools, in fact, don't allow that. We do. Right. We not only allow we encourage it. Bring your own laptop. Again, you're connected via our network. You're, you're behind our content filter. That satisfies the SIP of people. Uh, so there's no real liability issues there. Um our machines are are uh, locked down and protected in such a way that I'm not really concerned about them bringing a virus on. Uh, in the years that we've been doing this, uh, we've never had a problem with that. Uh, let me knock on something wooden. Right. Uh, it's, that doesn't mean that we can't. I'm just saying that it hasn't. So that kid bringing his pen drive in is very similar in a lot of ways to him bringing his own laptop. Um, the Other than he's borrowing our, right. our hardware. The primary difference is he didn't pay for the computer that he's running his operating system on. If he brought his laptop in, he did pay for that. So I could see us exerting some uh, accountability there because he's using our gear that we paid for with public funds. But the question is, how would you write that up in an acceptable use policy? Any lawyers out there listening? I'd, I'd like to know. If you'd like to, uh, um, uh, you know, contact us on our website, or if you're not a lawyer, if you're a policymaker, uh, find us on our website at thetightwadtech.com and, and, and let us know, because I'd be interested, uh, A, should we do something about it? Is it a problem? What's your opinion on that? And B, if we did decide to, what kind of language would cover that? Because I can't come up with anything, really. Yeah, I'm thinking it'd have to be something very specific and, uh, you know, something to the effect of uh, using our hardware in our uh, school-installed OS or something. But the problem when writing when you write policies, if you get too specific, it's also usually easy to get around right. at some point. So, so uh, what yeah. if he uh, has an Android phone that can also act as a USB drive, right? right? And he plugs that in and boots off of that. 
Well, then you have to write the rule that says, you know, you can't use your phone. Well, we don't want to do that. We're actually pushing for students to use phones in the classroom. And, and if we say you can't bring your own hardware, well, then what about that iPod Touch that's in their, you know, in the back of their backpack? Does that become contraband then? Are we now uh, bringing in, you know, I don't know, drug sniffing dogs to look for iPads? Right. Uh, how do, what, where do you, where do you go with that? Um, and especially if you're trying to be a progressive school district and you want them bringing their technology and engaging with their technology, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a tough line to straddle, really. So, uh, yeah, good question. Yeah. So uh, that's just out there. I don't have any um, any moral lessons to learn from it, just a lot of questions, and well, I wonder what you think. I, I think one thing that we wanted to add, too, because Mark and I always talk about this stuff <laughs> well before it makes the air, um, is uh, you get you again get back to uh, what's the classroom manager there? The technology is not the classroom manager. The teacher is. And even in that situation, we've given the teacher – the technological tools to have identified that problem. So even though the student thinks he's getting in under the radar, uh, just by virtue of that student sitting in that desk and interacting with that computer and the teacher can't see him on ITALC uh, is a problem. And it's up to the teacher to identify what's going on there and, and put a stop to it if the teacher doesn't want it going on. Right. And But, you know... Let me come to the age of the, of the teachers a little bit. If you're busy about the task of being a teacher and engaging students, you don't have time to sit and stare at your computer and look for anomalies. So I understand that it's a while it's not impossible, it's a difficult thing for a, for a teacher to monitor. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It depends. I mean, we see teachers that handle that very well and, and others that completely fall short. Yeah. So, uh, I think it comes down to the teacher. And like, like you've always said, uh, many times is if you really have them engaged, they're not going to be doing that stuff anyways. Right. Uh, so, uh, I, I think it comes down in a large portion to that. So, and so one other thing that was sort of a, a jump off from last week, uh, when we were talking with the student in our class, you know, he, uh, he had this idea that we were, uh, digitally staring over their shoulders all day long and just scanning the network and looking for, for bad behavior. Uh, you know, it, our students have no idea what we can do and what we do do. I said doo-doo. What, what we actually what, do. What it is that we do. Uh, it's total Beavis and Butthead moment there. I couldn't <laughs> couldn't resist. Um, so what it is that we do throughout a normal day. Uh, earlier this week, I found out that our principal has no idea either at, at here at our high school. And it, yeah. and it occurs to me that most principals, principals probably don't know. What we do as technicians is sort of a black art. Um, much like auto mechanics, you know, nobody really knows what they do when they take your car away and put it in the shop there. You have no idea. They could be waving dead chicken bones over it, or <laughs> they might just be sitting down reading a magazine and not actually doing anything. You have to trust them that they did anything at all. Uh, it's, it's a black art. And I think that the, we as technicians, it's, it's kind of the same way. They have no idea what we do. Um, Oh yeah, we, hey, I uh, I adjusted the flugel horn. It, it's better now. Right? Yeah. You know? Your dumaflotcher was a little loose, and your disgranificator <laughs> wasn't grannyfading nicely. Yeah, and and they would nod and and go okay with that, and you know you pay pay for it. Uh, right. Just a, an aside from my aside, um, there was somebody in the office uh, the other day. I won't say who it was, um, and Sean had to go into our server room for a minute, uh, and we go in and out, you know, a dozen times a week for various reasons. He opened the door and went in to do what he do, and this person. 
person's eyes draw, uh, got big and the jaw dropped and it was like they were watching the Wizard of Oz. You know, it was just this, yeah. this great thing. And it's another one of those things. They saw blinky lights and heard fans and got hit in the face with a blast of Arctic air and, and the noise. And it, I can see how that would be a sensory overload experience if you had never seen a server room before. All right. the wires going everywhere and the lights blinking and things beeping. Uh, but for us, it's just the, the big closet next door to the office. Well, and that's the first time that really occurred to me because it's so commonplace to me that if I hadn't caught that look on that, on that person's face, you know, when I opened the door and I looked and I, I realized that moment, I said, this is a pretty amazing room if you're not, if you're not us, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. So. It started as an empty concrete room and we put stuff in it. So right. to us, it's still kind of an empty concrete room with stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that's an aside there. Uh, the principal came to me and said, uh, there was an incident of some sort. Somebody had posted something on Facebook or some social network site and said, can you tell me who was on Facebook at 745 this morning? I said, yeah, that's that's a little spelunking through the logs, but uh, yeah, I can find that information for you. It'll take maybe an hour uh, to track that down. Um, you know, I don't know if you've got the kid in your office right now and you're hoping for me to uh, to to do something, but um, uh, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I can do it, but it's not going to be an immediate thing. And right. that's another expectation. They often expect things immediately, and they don't understand that sometimes yeah. there's some sifting that has and to be done You can there. just, like, type into your keyboard, who was on Facebook at 745, <laughs> right. and magically yeah. and it'll Google tell you. Google will tell me <laughs> that. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, so uh, I said, yeah, I, I can do that. It's going to, going to take a little while. Um, I said, uh, you know, do you have any idea where it was? That'll help me narrow it down. Um, and, and he said, no. And he, but, but as the conversation went on, uh, he basically said, what can you tell me? I said, well, I can tell you who logged on to Facebook between, you know, 740 and 750, uh, and from what computer. Uh, that's the amount of information I can give you. Um, and so if you've got, you know, disciplinary action or, or whatever you need to take from there, that's the supporting information I can give you. And he said, oh, so you can't tell me what they typed in on the screen? No, <laughs> right. no, no, Mr. <laughs> Principal, I, I can't. Uh, and I pictured, you know, CSI. They, they think we're like the guys in CSI who have the make everything better button. Right. And, and, you know, they, they have the, they have this picture of a darkened, uh, street camera, uh, view where a murder took place and they zoom in on a license plate 3,000 feet away and it's just like three pixels. <laughs> yeah. Like hyper pixel. Right, and yeah. they hit the, the make it better button and it goes, and then you can see the, the license plate. Right. Uh, and so I, that's what they think we can do. It's like I can go back and go, oh yeah, well I can. I have film of everything that's happened on every computer since the day we opened the building, and I can go up and sure I can pull that up, and we can actually zoom in and and maybe get a, a print out of their fingerprints. Well, no, I, I can't do that. Um, and and so I said, no, I, all I can tell you is who it was and and where they did it from. He said, oh well, we already know that. All right, uh, then no, I am. I can help you in no way at all. Yeah, you're useless. I then. got nothing for you. If you know who did it and when they did it, that's pretty much all I can tell you. Right, and you know, and I guess maybe that's the one of those funny things because uh, I don't think that he's a Facebooker. I'm pretty sure he's not. So I think he's not even understanding that technology, right? Because obviously, on one end or the other. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing, but you know, some kid said something bad to some other kid on Facebook. Uh, 
somewhere there you've got to be able to see that. I mean, I'm sure the kid that complained could right. probably pull it right back up and show right. what Right, and you've what got the, the timestamp, right? And you've right. got the person who said it, and there's like a profile picture out beside it. Yeah. You can't these, get much these, more these incriminating than that. sell themselves out, you know, when they do this stuff. That's what's hilarious to me. You see all these horrible things that kids say to each other on Facebook. It's like, you're selling yourself out, yeah. you know? And so if you really wanted to have some, you know, hardcore or something to throw down in front of them, I could pull up the security camera and say, you walked in this building 10 minutes before you posted this, therefore we know it happened at school. Right. Uh, but nobody argued that they had done it at school. Everybody knew they'd done it at school. Um, and I don't really know what he was hoping for me, but, you know, I had to inform him, I'm sorry, I, this isn't CSI and I can't, I can't do that. So techs out there, your people think you can do that. And, and we talked uh, last week or maybe a couple weeks ago in our time management, uh, thing. I think that might have been what it was about setting realistic expectations. Yeah. And, um, that's one of those realistic expectations. You need to head that off because had he been depending on me for something, um, that would have been a bad thing. And I'm glad this came up because we had the, we had this talk about the limi- limitations of what I can, information I can provide him. And right. so in the future, that will help that. So if you haven't had that discussion with your, uh, uh, administration at your, at your workplace, be it a school or a place of business, uh, you probably need to make time to do that. Yeah. And let yeah. them know this is what I can provide you and what I can't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I guess uh, we're ready to get into yeah, the I, interview. I see Amanda's online and uh, ready to go. So we'll uh, we'll call her on Skype and, and get started. All right. And so, Amanda, uh, I introduced you uh, briefly uh, during our show opener. So I'll just let you pick up from there. Tell us a little bit about uh, who Amanda Wilson is and uh, what is her role in education and uh, in an education technology. Okay. Um, well, I've been teaching uh, Spanish at Appalachian State University in Boone for uh, three years now. Um, I think that uh, technology is, is great in education if it's if it's used in a way that actually facilitates what you're doing and uh, not just thrown in there to uh, to be saying you're using some technology. Um, so I try to find ways that. Uh, that some Web 2.0 tools will enhance what I do. Um, I actually use a lot of technology in my classrooms to the point that my students complain about it. Um, <laughs> I have a course website. Um, we use uh, a Facebook group. They are required to blog. Um, they have a digital portfolio that they uh, use during the semester to upload their work to. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of components and elements and ways that I try to work things in so that they can get the most out of the class. Uh, Amanda, to, to that end, I'm kind of curious, uh, cause you are doing so much there. Uh, what, what's the reasoning behind that? Is it something that you feel passionately about that they need to going forward into their, uh, into their lives need to have that, that, uh, digital knowledge, or is it something that's just, uh, makes your life easier as an instructor? Uh, well, you know? Yeah, it's definitely definitely a piece of it is I think we we tend to assume that the that this younger generation is, you know, completely tech literate and they're really not. And um so it, a piece of it is that they need to know how to access some of these things. Um but mostly my focus is bringing in things that will enhance their learning. Too often, you know, I teach 
um, three sections at App State with 30 students in each one. And this is beginning Spanish one. So when you have 90 students, it's really hard to give them the individual attention that they really need to develop the language skills. Um, they can learn the grammar on their own. They can practice and do these exercises and, and get that piece of it, but they don't get a lot of feedback as far as pronunciation and learning to really speak and communicate well. So I like to use things like um, we use iPatio.com, which is a uh, phone blogging, um, so that my students don't have to have equipment but they can give me recordings of themselves and I can actually take the time to listen to those and give them some uh, you know immediate direct feedback so they can go back and listen to themselves and then hear what they're doing and improve the way they speak. Um, so yeah I do think that the technology is important in general but I bring in things that I think will actually enhance their learning specifically in foreign languages. Uh, so these are, you said, uh, beginning Spanish one uh, is uh -huh. what you're teaching. So these are going to be freshmen, sophomores for the most part? For the most part, yeah. Okay, so you're dealing with 19- and 20-year-old uh, kids for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. What is uh, your um, assessment of their tech literacy uh, when they come to you. I, I think it's often implied and under, uh, and expected in education that, that you know, the whole digital natives things, that these kids come in and they're, they're hip and with it and they know all the stuff. Are you seeing that to be true in your incoming freshmen each year? Uh, generally, no. Um, there are a few in each class who will have a certain um, uh, advantage with the tech. I mean, most most of all of them are on Facebook, and they can handle posting on their friends' walls, but um, anything above that, like uh, the discussion groups in, or the discussion forums that are in groups, or posting videos and that sort of thing, um, usually is something that they actually have to be walked through. Um, I think I've had, out of, out of my 90 students this semester, I have had one who actually knew how to use YouTube before my class. Um, so, so generally, I'd say that it's it's not true that they're they're using the technology, but not in a lot of the ways that we use it in the classroom. Most of my students don't hadn't even blogged before they were in my class. Um, so, well, uh, Amanda, let me native, some things. Okay, let me uh, let me jump in there, and because uh, you did mention Facebook, and uh, that's a hot topic, uh, particularly in. Uh, like K through 12, it's, it's a very touchy subject, but, uh, I would, I would think that it'd be more acceptable at the university level. But, uh, are you using Facebook in the classroom? Are you using some other social networking sites? Uh, if you're using Facebook, how are you, uh, deploying that? Is it, uh, uh group pages, fan pages? Uh, how exactly are you using them? Um, right now I use, uh, the old style group pages. I haven't, uh, they just released the new groups and I haven't had a chance to get into that yet, but, uh, I'm using the group pages. Um, we use, uh, the wall a lot, um, to post links and resources back and forth. Um, they post, uh, video assignments that they complete, uh, in the Facebook group and the Facebook group's closed. So only the students who are actually taking the class can see those videos and their buddies can't go see them if they don't want them to. Um, the, it's never really, I've ne had never really heard of any problems about using Facebook at, at the university level until this semester. Um, and there's been some talk about, um, the possibility of banning Facebook. Um, 
worried, worry, they're worried about FERPA violations. They're worried that uh, students' privacy is being violated by using this unsecure technology in class. They're trying to move us towards using university-owned um, software solutions uh, for networking and other things. Um, so just I'm so hoping, just for uh, people who may not know, FERPA, I don't know what it stands for, but it's a federal privacy thing. Uh, it's another, um, essentially, it's another uh, tool that the federal government is using to make education harder. Um, that's, that's my assessment of it. <laughs> Yet uh, another wall, right? Because it is, uh, you're saying you're, they're just looking at it there at the, at the university level at blocking Facebook or whatever, uh, at the public schools, uh, elementary and high school level, uh, generally it's just assumed that it is blocked. Uh, it's, it's yeah. unusual that it's not. And I understand you're dealing with adults and, uh, FERPA has less, uh, it's a minor thing. It has less to do with, with people 18 and older. So I'm intru- I'm, I'm curious that your university is having issues with that when dealing with everybody who's of legal age. I mean, you don't yeah, have any uh, minors. FERPA deals with, uh, we have to deal with that a lot too, though. Like, um, grades and information can't, be put anywhere other than where the student can find right. it. Um, in in North Carolina, it's the university has the right to monitor all of our classroom communications and activities. So that's why they're having a problem with us going out and using um, Facebook and other uh, non-university sanctioned software. And I, like I said, I hadn't heard anything about it until this year, but they're starting to. Uh, build a policy about it at my university. Now, what does your classroom look like? Is it the typical uh, 30 seats facing a blackboard setup? Yes. So um, this... That's... I'm, I'm sorry. sorry to interrupt. Uh, so this uh, Facebook activities that you do, uh, it's all on their own time after class hours? Yes. Um, the things that we do on Facebook are are uh, outside of the classroom. Um the yeah and is it the, mandatory the, the, or the recommended um there are there are certain things that they have to do um like um uh, certain assignments that they have to upload and that sort of stuff but one of the things that i found and one of what i think is the advantages of using facebook is that they get in there and get you know it's facebook so they're on it all the time anyway so they get in there and they just play and they start posting, oh, I just saw this cool link and it was about Hispanic culture or I saw this music video and they'll just randomly start posting these things and um, they really start building community even outside the classroom. Um, I guess that kind of takes me to uh, or leads into uh, my next question, which is kind of explain what. Uh, what's some of the greatest benefits that you've seen, uh, in using, uh, a site like Facebook in the classroom and, uh, you know, what, what are some of the su- success stories? Well, um, I, like I said, I like that they, they really get engaged with it and get excited with playing with it once they, uh, learn how to use some of the functionality that they, uh, might not have ever used before. And, um, they start, you really start seeing them engage with the subject material. They start seeing uh, a news article about something that happened, and they, they want to go in and post it so that all their classmates can see it so they can start talking about it. So it really just gives them a place where they can easily share their ideas and what they're thinking about and what they've heard about and really build that community. 
that's one of those things if i've said it once i've said it 92.7 times is uh <laughs> when people ask what can you do with facebook that you can't do with a pen and paper or with a moodle or with some other uh tool and you just said it right there it's engagement you get a much mm-hmm. higher level of engagement with a tool they're already using and and i would i would posit that probably most of your students it's sort of a light bulb moment when they get into your class and go oh wait you can use this for school yeah and so they're they're already there. I know that uh, uh, in the school where we teach, uh, our middle school teachers uh, have done uh, quite a bit of uh, experimentation with uh, Facebook, and they find that they have kids doing math problems at 11 p.m. on a Friday night because yeah. it's on Facebook. And so they're already on Facebook, and while they're there, they do their math homework. That's, that's a little crazy, but isn't that the sort of thing that, as a teacher, uh, you really get excited about? St- uh, students mm-hmm. voluntarily learning? That's a pretty exciting thing, right? Yeah. And would you and say then, you've seen that sort of thing? I mean, I don't want to lead you. I'm, I'm asking. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, it just, you know, the thing with teaching language is you just – it. It doesn't occur in a vacuum. They, there has to be a community of learners. You have to have somebody to talk to. If you learn it all by yourself and on your own, then it, it's not really serving its purpose of communication. So to, to have a tool like this, the community so easily, because they're actually interested, engaged, and want to, and want to mess with it at all hours of the day and night, then, then you've got something that builds community that, you know, at, at nine o'clock in the morning when they're sitting in class half asleep, you know, they're not as engaged as they are in the evenings when it's on their own time and they're thinking of something they're interested in. Uh, that just kind of got me curious is, you know, if your university decides to go that route and really put you on lockdown and uh, have some sort of internal, uh, I don't know, CMS that they're wanting you to use, to, you know, in the same light, uh, my thoughts on that is that it would probably decrease that participation, right? It's just yet one other thing that they've got to go to. And now, you know, it's, it's almost more of a chore than something that they're already at. I mean, would you agree with that? Do you think, you think that that's a kind of a pitfall of something like that happening? Yeah, that, that is my contention exactly. And, and I'm trying to get together some information to take to the university lawyers to say, look, don't ban it. You know, make make some rules. We can't put grades on there. We can't put, you know, certain things on there. But don't ban the community aspect of it entirely because it's just entirely too important of a tool that even if they gave us something that worked the same way on our on our course management system, it wouldn't ever be as engaging because it's not connected to all these other things they're already doing. And are you uh, – uh are you using anything else out there as well, Twitter or uh, anything like that? Um, we use Blogger and Google Sites and uh, and Facebook. Uh, the Google Sites is that are is Appalachian State uh, like a Google Google school? No, um, we actually have a, a fabulous Moodle system. Um, Yay! <laughs> and I, I I do love our course management system, but. I'm also teaching at a community college this semester, and I would have had to have who they're on Blackboard, so I would have had to have done my Yank. course site twice. Right. So instead of doing that, I set up one Google site for for both of my classes at both schools. 
Very good. So that's just your own uh, Google uh, account that you did, rather than an Appalachian yep. State Google Apps. Okay. I know. Right. I know that uh, there are a number of universities that are moving to that for student and staff email. Uh, it would have been interesting if if yours had been one. But uh, so we are we are on Google. We are on Gmail. They have moved our email to Gmail. Oh, okay. So oh, it is. Yeah. A, it, then it they've is a got. Google yeah, Apps. they've got the rest of it. They just haven't opened it up. They just haven't opened up to use it yet. That's awesome. Uh, so tell me. Uh, what what do you like about Google Sites? We've uh, we're uh, three episodes into a four uh, part series on uh, on Google Apps uh, that we're doing here on the show. Uh, tell me about uh, Google Sites. Why did you pick that? What was your uh, uh, deciding factor, and and what do you like best about it? There's three sort of rapid fire questions. Yeah. Okay. I'll see if I can cover all that. Um, I've no been pressure. doing web designs. <laughs> I've been doing web design since 1997, so, it, you know, writing, um, Google Sites is just amazing to me because of all the themes. It's so easy to use. It's easy to make it look nice, um, and it connects to everything. I like that I can embed forms into my Google Site and have my students turn homework in that way, and um, I just like how integrative it is. Did I miss one of your questions? Oh, that, that's fine. Uh, yeah, that's great. So you've been doing web design since you were four. That's really impressive. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> since I was four. She's not right. quite that young. <laughs> uh, you, you didn't major in math, did you? <laughs> uh, so uh, how long have you been teaching uh, at the uh, university level? Just for three years. For three years, okay. Um, and so is this your... First gig out of college? Yep. I actually started before I finished my master's degree. So okay. once I had my 18 hours of credit, I started teaching. So so uh, was there anything like this when you were a student, uh, you know, four or five years ago uh, or uh, that, that spurred you onto this? Or was this just uh, uh, something that you uh, saw because of your own use of Facebook? How did, how did you get uh, into the idea of, of incorporating Facebook in the classroom? I guess that's my question. Well, um, I don't know. It should always seemed like a good idea to me to to communicate with students in a place they were already comfortable with. Um, I uh, had been thinking about trying to find a way to use uh, Facebook in my classroom because um, I thought it was a really good tool. And I went to a conference, and one of the presenters was presenting, and I have no idea now what she was presenting on, but she scoffed. Uh, it's not like you could just use Facebook or, or something like that. And it got me thinking, wait a minute, I actually think I could use Facebook like that. Um, and so I just started playing around with creating groups and, uh, it took off with my students immediately. It just, I've never had anything that was easier to introduce and get them engaged in. Uh, now, Amanda, we had, uh, we already talked about, you know, some of the success stories there and, you know, the great aspects of that. Have you experienced any pitfalls since you started using it? I know, uh, when Facebook comes up and teachers using Facebook, a lot of times, uh, the question that comes up or, or really the warning that comes up is, you know, make sure you keep it separate from your private, your private profile and all that kind of stuff. Uh, have you had any problems between, uh, students or yourself and students or just anything with that overall situation? Have you had any negatives come up? Um, personally, no. And, um, I do let my, uh, students friend me if they want to. And my account that I use is, is I just, I just have one account. Um, we 
I've had this conversation with colleagues before about um, the possibility that Facebook is a private place and we shouldn't be conducting, you know, a public forum in a private place with education. And and uh, my, I don't know, I guess the way I look at it is, you know, I think that I understand that at the K-12 level you have to worry about teacher-student interaction, but I'm ho- I, I wish that we could just get to a point where we could just be who we are and that would be okay, and there wouldn't be people being punished for for a few people who are being inappropriate. You know what I mean? Right. I think that we're all adults, and we should be able to handle our students in an online environment as appropriately as we handle them in a physical environment. So if we can, you know, act appropriately in a classroom, why can't we act appropriately on Facebook? Well, uh, that's a good question. Why can't you? Have you seen any evidence of your students not behaving appropriately? Oh, yeah. My students are constantly sending me an email and telling me that they're sick and then posting on Facebook how hungover they are. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just kind of just throw that up to, you know, they're, they're young adults, they're growing up, they're, they'll figure, you know, figure out what they want to do. And, that no still counts as sick, it. right? You know, when you're, when you're hungover, that's sick. <laughs> that is sick, right? <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Well, uh, I was just thinking of a question, and now uh, it, it went right by me. Well, you mentioned your colleagues earlier. Are any of your colleagues using Facebook as well, or are you the Lone Ranger there at Appalachian State? In my department, I'm kind of the Lone Ranger when it comes to the tech. Um they use a lot more uh, traditional tools and uh, don't they don't really mess with uh, much outside of the the course management system that we have. Um, so you're a yeah, trendsetter. People about it, but yeah. yeah, nobody else is really doing it but me. And and so when you talk about it, what's the response? Is it that's fine for you, or uh, are, are they scared of it? Why why do you think I'm asking you to to put words in their mouth? I guess why do you think that you're the only one doing it? Well, I think that some people aren't comfortable with not having a line between their public and private lives. Um, well, they don't want their students to be able to see pictures of their vacation or something. Um, and that's just my best guess. I, I think that um, that it's probably just that not being comfortable with sharing too much of oneself with um, the students. I feel like we've drawn a line from the front of the classroom to the back of the classroom. And, and we've, I worry that we've cut off an important part of who we are that would really help our students to understand that we're real people and not just the teacher. I think that uh, in the, in the the lower levels, the elementary and high school, that that is true as well. It's the the idea of a, pro- a propriety: what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate, and uh, right. uh, and I admit that's a that's a struggle. That's a gray area there where you're you're using this new form of technology. Like you said, you're uh, uh, you just have a single account. Uh, in most public school settings, we would would never do that. You would set up a classroom specific account, and then you would set uh, you would not. Uh, in fact, our school in particular, and and many others, has a policy where you don't friend students with your personal account. You only, you keep it professional. Um, right. Your your assessment is that's a mistake. Yes, um, because I feel like that. My opinion is that. 
we should be who we are and that we shouldn't be hiding ourselves. And and although there are times where you are more personal and more professional, I don't put anything on my Facebook that I wouldn't want my students, my colleagues, or my family to see. If it's appropriate for any one of the groups that I'm friends with, it, it would have to be appropriate for all the groups that I'm friends with for it to be something that I would post. Amanda, uh, that reminded me of my question that I really wanted to ask earlier was uh, all about really appropriateness. And, uh, you know, we talk about the these younger generations, uh, you know, we think that they're digital natives and they're really not. Uh, do you see that as a responsibility that you have as a teacher to uh, not just teach them Spanish, but also teach them how to operate in, in these digital environments? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that we all have a responsibility to help them understand that they can't, they're not going to be able to survive if if they're not a little bit tech literate. Um, there's very few things they left to to do in the world that don't have some form of technology integrated. So I think any little what we can do along with our disciplines helps push them in the right direction and get them curious about uh, possibly other technologies. All right. That's a, one of my questions was uh, sort of pig, uh, pig, piggybacking on that. Um, is there a way in particular being at the university level that you see the, your predecessors, the public school system as having failed? Uh, is there something that they should be doing better to, to better prepare the students for when they hit the university level? I mean, I, th- I really believe, I, I like to believe that, uh, that the K-12 system is doing what they can with what they have. Um, I think that more of the problem doesn't, I don't think the problem lies as much with the teachers as it does with the policymakers who are restricting and tying your hands. Um, I've talked to a lot of K-12 foreign language teachers, you know, I can't show this, this uh, music video because it's on YouTube and YouTube is banned at my school. And it just kind of blows my mind. I think that, that it's not fair for a system administrator to take the judgment of what is appropriate in a teacher's classroom away from that teacher. Amen. Um, so, I under- hey, yeah, say that again. It's, it's one thing if you're blocking, we need to hear that again. It's one, <laughs> it's one thing if you're blocking YouTube off of uh, computers that the students are using, but the teacher's computer should be, you know, they should be able to access what they need to. And I mean, usually, at least when I was in school, and, and this was several years ago, but if we went to the computer lab, we were never in the computer lab all by ourselves. There was always a teacher there to monitor us. So why are system administrators, network administrators, cutting sites when there's a teacher there who can monitor what the kids are looking at and decide what, what is and what isn't appropriate. We love you, Amanda. You're <laughs> you are a kindred spirit. Yes. Uh, I have, uh, I frequently in my job as a, as the uh, technology coordinator uh, at the school district, get a, get calls from salespeople offering, uh, content, uh, filtering appliances and, and, uh, um, SIPA compliant boxes and and most recently I said the single most expensive and most effective SIPA compliant device we have in any classroom is that salaried professional teacher that's her job and uh, you can't sell me something that's better than that exactly yeah so Great anyway stuff. So is, uh, aside from Facebook in particular uh, are there any other um, technologies um, 
I think we covered this earlier. But well, yeah, other- I'm, I'm real cu- curious about one, too, which was a tip of the week several weeks back, at least, uh, was LiveMocha.com. I'm curious if she uses LiveMocha.com or, is, or has that. ever seen it. Mm-mm. Take a look I at it. it it's like uh, Facebook for learning languages. It's really amazing. I've got people from all around the world. Yeah, you need to check that out. You can friend people in certain languages, and they can help you, and you can submit work, and they can sort of grade it for wow. you and, uh really neat so uh yeah livemocha.com cool. so uh awesome. thank you for that what sort of um social networking professional uh learning network do you have i understand that you and sean encountered each other uh on a similar sort of thing as a teacher as a professor uh how do you build your own uh, personal learning network well, I, I met Sean in Classroom 2.0, which is new to me. I just started using it recently, and I really liked it um, so far. I There's a lot of really great groups and, and places to go and ask questions. I also occasionally use tappedin.org, um, which is another teacher network where you can actually set up an office and put all your um, files and links and sort of things in there. Um, that one's really great to go in and chat with other teachers about projects you've got going on and um Recently, I talked to some women in there about an action research project, and we set up a, a community to do peer mentoring with each other and trading back drafts of things we're writing. And um, so those are the main two that I use. And I actually, uh, a lot of the teachers that I've met, I've found through Twitter, um, doing a chat on Twitter and um, connecting with people at conferences and stuff. So you're a Twitter user. Uh, do you encourage your students to you do that as well? I've never, uh, I've never used it with my class. Um, I, yeah, I haven't. I actually haven't even ever talked to my class about Twitter before. I guess I hadn't really thought of any really good applications for its use in my classroom. Okay. Although I'm sure there are some out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. in just the same way that you just said, you use it to to gather information and, and uh, 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 connect with other people, you know, students can do the same thing uh, right. using it. And, and I find that's interesting. It's a discussion that uh, Sean and I have had a couple of times that uh, Facebook seems to be the one that people ha- are are adopting, uh, maybe because of that comfort level. Uh, but Twitter is, is another tool that seems to go largely ignored in the classroom, even though a lot of teachers themselves are using it. And I find that interesting. Not being a teacher, I, I can't really uh, put my finger on, on what the difference would be, but it's it's teachers use it, but they don't introduce it to their students. Um, personally, I think one of my things is I have, I just haven't went out looking for anything else that I felt like I needed. I, I, I try not to just use uh, a tool because I find a cool way to use it. I, I try to I try to start with my content in my classroom and say, what do I need to accomplish and go from there? And it just nothing that I'm doing has sent up a flag. Hey, I should should use Twitter to do this thing. And um, I try not to introduce any more um, than I have to. Um, I think I mentioned earlier that my students have gotten to the point where they're they're just like, wow, this is a lot of different things we're using because we've got the platform that they put their uh, digital portfolio on. They've got their blog. They've got their Facebook group. They've got our Google sites. Um, so it's kind of just one of those there wasn't room for one more thing kind of things. 
Okay. And uh, you you posted uh, in our notes, and I'll put on our, our show notes, your personal blog, uh, a teacher learning about learning.blogspot.com. That's a nice short URL. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> I do uh, like the name, though. That's cool. <laughs> uh, tell me, um, uh, why do you blog? Um, I am actually a student, too, still. I'm working on an EDS degree, and um, I'm just taking some really amazing classes this semester, and I'm also writing a thesis, and I just keep running across interesting topics that I want to explore by, you know, writing my thoughts on the mount, and then I like to uh, see if anybody will um, engage in the conversation. I haven't had, you know, it's it's pretty new, so I haven't had a lot of... Uh, people checking it out yet but i find that i hear that a lot uh, uh teachers use blogs for as a repository of their own knowledge uh, mm-hmm. and i think we we need to do a better job of encouraging students to do that as well it's yes it's public and yes people can comment on it but really it's a place for you to store your own thoughts to come back for it later i've been blogging for several years and i find that to be uh one of the best uses for me it's, it's here's something that i have been thinking about or i've just discovered i'm going to put it here in my own repository of knowledge well, and the the writing process helps you work through that too, exactly. right? If you've just got it constantly right. on the brain, you kind of can write and and work through that whole process. And I often yeah. say there are things I can't figure out until I've written about it. Uh, yeah. Being a verbal person, and I'm sure you are too, being a language teacher, uh, we verbally process, and the act of writing helps codify the thought processes. All right. Well, uh, unless you have something else, uh, is there anything we've left out or any questions we've not asked? Not that I can think of. Okay. Well, then uh, we want to be respectful of your time and not keep keep you much longer. Um, okay. I just uh, thank you for your time. You've been a great guest. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on, Amanda. It was it was great meeting you. And uh, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah. And she told oh. us before we started recording that uh, she did this whole interview using Skype on her iPhone, and she sounded better than a lot of our guests have in the past. I was pretty impressed by that. So yeah. uh, from a, a hardcore Apple basher, thumbs up on that one. The uh, uh, Skype on the iPhone was pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm definitely a PC person, but I love my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Once again, that was Amanda Wilson, a Spanish teacher at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, I think she had some interesting things to say. Often uh, our focus tends to be K-12 specific because it's what we know about. Uh, and so far, all of our guests have either been K-12 or uh, former K-12. Uh, so it was great to hear from a, uh, a university professor and, uh, and about her use of, of social tools in the classroom. Yeah, and I thought it was uh, also very interesting just to kind of get her take of, you know, uh, she's the she's the receiver, right, of what we're what we're putting out. So to get that uh, that perspective of you know uh, the kids that she's getting out of the K through twelve environment, and uh, you know maybe they're not exactly the way we view them. You know? Yeah, I thought that was interesting that she said uh, most of her students didn't know how to use YouTube. Um, here at, at our school, YouTube is a significant contributor to the consumption of bandwidth. Right. Um, and that, that kind of threw me. But then when I think about most of the con- my contemporaries across the state and probably across the country, um, they're blocking Facebook. They're banning Facebook. Uh, and so I could see how. And YouTube. Right. And, yeah. 
I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I said Facebook. I meant yeah. YouTube. Because uh, she she said they didn't know how to use YouTube. And, and I bet what she meant, and I should have asked her for clarification, is that she didn't mean they don't know how to pull up a video, but they didn't know how to use it effectively to to research things. And And if we're blocking it and banning it and making it illegal, how are kids going to learn to effectively use it? Right. Right. Yeah, that kind of got to my whole point about uh, in with all these social networking tools is, you know, where does the responsibility lie? And, that, you know, that's a question that really hasn't been answered. But, uh, you know, and I'm, I don't know that it should be in the education system. But, you know, personally, I kind of feel like it should. Um, that's where our kids are at. That's where they're learning. And they need to just like they learn everything else about, you know, don't don't punch another kid and, and you know, don't call them names and everything else is they need to learn how to uh, act in these environments. So, you know what the term for that is? Digital, Digital citizenship. citizenship and right. We have a, an episode scheduled to come up, uh, coming up about that. Uh, and, and that's, I don't know if that is a, a real term, uh, out there, but it's, it's one that, that I came up with, uh, or, or maybe I stole from somebody. The idea that we teach our students citizenship. they my kids are at the elementary level and they actually have a, a checkbox on the report card that says citizenship. Right. Right. And they get a grade on it. And, and, uh, being elementary, it's like S for satisfactory or N for needs improvement. But there's no box for digital citizenship. And if we're teaching citizenship, if we're teaching uh, no put-downs but appreciations, my kids, that's apparently one of the things they drill into them. And, and uh, <laughs> in Texas, we have a program called Character Counts that every school teaches. Uh, it's part of the curriculum. But where are we teaching digital character and digital citizenship? And so uh, that's just a little uh, foreshadowing to an episode upcoming. I'm very passionate about that concept. Uh but in finding guests, we've pushed that one back several times because I'm having a hard time finding guests who are as equally passionate about it, who are in the education system. Well, and let's be let's be honest, you know, kind of that are also on our side of the fence too. Right? <laughs> <I mean. laughs> That's right. We don't want anybody who's going to disagree with us. Right. <laughs> So uh no I, and and again Amanda was a, a great guest and she shed some new light on uh, on that subject so I thought it was really uh, really interesting. All right and you got a couple of free tips of the week there uh in the uh um uh interview there ipatio.com uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes and tappedin.org are two sites that uh, Amanda uses uh and so uh with that I'll I'll let Sean jump right into the teacher tip of the week and give you three right in a row there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> like always, I'm unprepared, right? No, uh, this week, let me, uh, get back down to that portion of the notes. Okay. Well, uh, this is very appropriate. I think this See, is why I picked again, this one. Once again, that's a blown transition. I gave yeah. it to you perfectly. We were just talking about YouTube and then you had this great transition there and you blew it. You really need to work on this. I man. didn't know you were going there, man, but you know what? It is a great transition because it goes right with my tip of the week, which is, uh, teachertube.com. Uh, uh, well, and I say .com, boy, I, I, honestly, it might be .org. Uh, I think it's either. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I don't think this one's a big, you know, light bulb going off. I think there's a lot of teachers out there that are aware of this. Uh, but even, even so, they may just be aware of it and never have really actually tried it out. Uh, TeacherTube is very much like YouTube. It, it, it's, uh, it's a video posting site. Uh, let's face it. It's a complete ripoff of YouTube. For, well, pretty much, but I, I gotta give them credit. They're actually doing some, some different things there than even what YouTube's doing. And it, it's geared right at the classroom and, uh, education. Um, 
TeacherTube uh, officially launched in uh, March of 2007, and it's an online community for sharing instructional videos, but not just videos, docs, and audio clips, and photos as well. Uh, the really interesting thing and something that, you know, I've been on this site before in the past, uh, uh, and I don't remember the docs being there, so I don't know when they added the docs, but uh, th- it's really neat because you go out there and you see a lot of, uh, well, Teachers love PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> There's a lot of PowerPoints and Word docs and uh, Excel spreadsheets and just all kinds of uh, different materials that teachers can use in their own classroom. So uh, there's a lot of sharing of of, uh, of that type of information as well. Um, Looking in the audio section, there look to be quite a few, uh, well, not quite a few, but at least some uh, podcasts in there that uh, I can't tell if they're student-generated or teacher-generated. But uh, uh, and if you're listening to the show, there's a good chance you're interested in educational podcasts. That might be a good place to go to, to seek some out. Right. And there's just there's a lot of really neat things going on. I mean, I think if you're a teacher, even if you're not looking uh, – to get any specific content, uh, just some ideas there. I mean, when you, when you peruse all the videos and all the different content on this site, uh, you're going to get some ideas that, uh, maybe some things that you want to do on your, on your own. Um, so, uh, uh, as far as videos go, I mean, they had everything from hybridization, standard deviance, uh, so, you know, some higher level stuff all the way down to a day in the life of a kindergartner. Uh, so. uh, Jason in our chat room says, uh, points us to schooltube.com, which is another, uh, similar, uh, utility. Uh, he says that, uh, their, uh, video class uses to publish it their own videos for viewing and it's monitored by human, uh, humans, not just, uh, programs he said teachers uh so i assume there's some vetting process or maybe a takedown jason uh answer me here uh uh, does it uh have to be pre-approved or do they take it down if it's uh, inappropriate how does that monitoring process work waiting five seconds for the broadcast delay I don't know what happened. I got they have paid. to be pre-approved. Jason says they have to be pre-approved before they can go up on schooltude.com. So there you go. There's a fourth teacher tip of the week. This right. is just a jam-packed episode. We right are gushing. We are gushing. Um, I Thank will you, say, Jason, in the chat room. I will say another uh, kind of interesting thing about that is, uh, or this particular site is, uh, I'm one of those weirdos that actually went in and read the uh, terms of service. And uh, they have a really good terms of service, so uh, something good to look at. Uh, things that really people who post to these types of sites really need to keep in mind. It talks about copyright, uh, you know, and making sure that you have uh, the right to use whatever it is that you're posting there. Um, and also that uh, you, uh, you're you agreeing by posting that stuff to use a Creative Commons uh, attribution share alike license. So, uh, you know, you you can... Use it, reshare it, uh, make derivative works and everything, but you have to attribute the originator and, uh, and agree to share yours. Right. Anything you put up there can be shared by somebody else. Right. So a couple of just points that, you know, you might not think about when you just hop on there as a teacher and post a video, but uh, you really should be aware of. Make sure you're not putting anything up there that's uh, copyright protected. You don't have rights to use and uh, also be aware that, you know, how your work can be used by others. So 
but uh, outside of that, yeah, those are two great sites. So, right. uh, yeah. So moving right along to our tech tip of the week, uh, for uh, those of you who uh, have been following along just um, anxiously uh, with the uh, on the edge of your seat with the with the tips of the the tech <laughs> tips of the week so far, you'll recognize this website uh, as one I've mentioned before, wisesoft.co.uk. Our friends over there, Wisesoft, have lots of uh, well, a few anyway, really good. Um, network-related uh, teacher, uh, technician sort of tips. And this one, uh, the one that I'm talking about, is called NTF Fix. Um, now, here's what NTF Fix does. It takes a long directory or string of subdirectories and puts the NTFS user permissions however you set them. Now, now let me give you a better example of that rather than a description. Uh, on our um, server where all the students have their data, okay, there is a share out there called users, and every individual student has uh, their folder, uh, A.B. Smith and J.Q. Smith and L.M. Smith. We've got lots of Smiths um, right. there, and they all have their own folder. Now, by default, when you create a folder in Active Directory, when their user profile is created, um, the user gets access and nobody else. Being that we're dealing with students, we're dealing with minors, one of the things that we need to do, one of the things that we're required by law to do is that some other person has to have an oversight over that. So if you if you run a, an Active Directory, you know that you have to go in and you right-click and you take ownership, and then you go back and set the ownership back. And if you've got uh, you know 300 students being added every year to your Active di- Directory as, as new students enroll, that gets to be a real pain. What NTFS Fix does is you say, follow this folder, give them all these permissions. And my favorite thing about it is you can say the username whose name is the same as the folder name gets permission. So oh, nice. in the case of the JQ Smith folder, it looks at Active Directory and says, is there a user called JQ Smith? Why, well, yes, there is. And then it adds those permissions. So JQ Smith gets full control. Administrator gets modify. High school teacher, principal might get view only. You can set those whatever you want to do. But the cool thing is it happens automatically. And so it'll go through and, and look at 700, 800, 2,000 different folders and assign all those uh, permissions on its own. And it's a free software. A very handy tool, not something you're going to, to use every day, but maybe a couple times a year, and it's uh, it's a great time saver when you do need it. Awesome. All right. Well, that was a great show. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just my turn to do that. So you say uh, something. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. See, that's yeah. how it feels. That's that's what happens when your wingman doesn't back you up. Now you know what it's like. From now on, I'm just going to sit here and go, uh-huh. I've had wingmen not back me up before, right. just in different scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, uh, we had uh, Jason join us in the chat room because he knew that we were broadcasting live, and he knew that because he's a follower on either Twitter or Facebook of, of uh, one of our users. If you want to be uh, as cool as Jason, you need to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and then listen in live. Right. And then you'll be able to, to follow us. Uh, then, then, you, then you'll be able to know. Then you'll be able to jump right in. And Jason is now world famous. At least five people now <laughs> know about him. And hey, I'll, but those five are like in the UK, South Africa, That's Australia. Right. That's you right. know, we've got them all over. So. Now, the rest of you who are listening to this later, like a week after when we put it up there, you're not as cool as Jason. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. <laughs> so if you want to be cool like Jason, 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll let you know when we're broadcasting live. You can be a part of the show. You can be a part of our conversation. And one of the things that uh, <laughs> Jason says, life is tough. If you're not as cool as he is, yeah. life is tough. <laughs> one of the things that we've said about this show from the beginning is it's a conversation. It's uh, uh, And we try to present that. It's not uh, a sage on the stage. We're not an expert uh, uh, pointing at you. And, and Sean and I are the ones who get to be an actual part of the conversation. And our guests who come in... Uh, get to be a part of it but jason now is part of that conversation because he joined in our chat room so we want to welcome you to be a part of the conversation don't just be a consumer we like consumers we're glad you're out there listening to our podcast we're, we're glad to hear that uh, that uh, you're enjoying it and recommending it to your friends those are all good things but be a part of it and the way to be a part of it is at our website at thetightwadtech.com or you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash thetightwadtech or twitter.com slash thetightwadtech do you see a trend there the Taiwan Tech. And you're, you're getting better week to week. That's right. Rolling that roll off the that tongue. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, I will be able to read War and Peace and do that spiel all at the same time because it'll just be a spinal cord response. Right, right. In my brain. <laughs> all right. Okay. And so... Um, anything else? Uh, anything else you want to plug? Uh, one, one other plug for... Uh, uh, Amanda's blog that, uh, again, I'll put up there, but it's a teacher learning about learning.blogspot.com. That's a pretty cool name. And, uh, and learning is a never ending process. That's one of the things that we, uh, often talk about, but never, uh, remember to actually follow through is, is creating lifelong learners in school. You, you don't, learning yeah. doesn't end when you graduate. Um, he who is learning is growing and uh, he who stops learning is dying. Well, and it's obvious Amanda was, you know, she's one of those people who's passionate about learning, you know, not only herself, but with uh, teaching others. So uh, always fun to talk to people like that. All right. And so for this week, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. This is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs>